Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am your host, Wilk of Wilksworld.com, and I am so incredibly grateful that you are taking the time to join me for another powerful DTH episode. Friends, at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, it's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. See, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. That all starts with gratitude and personal accountability. We cannot control everything that happens to us in life, but we can control how we react to it. How we act, how we react, no matter what happens to us, how we react to it makes the difference. Friends, there is only one good thing about a bad attitude, and that is that we have the ability as individuals to change it. Here on the DTH Podcast, we strive to bring you great guests and provide tools to do just that. Please be sure to share it with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Ratings and feedback are always greatly appreciated. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. Friends, I am so excited to bring you another incredible guest here on the DTH Podcast. My guest this week is Dr. Sheena Mason, talking about her theory of racelessness. If you have not heard of Dr. Sheena Mason, she is definitely somebody that you want to know more about. Back in episode 74 of the DTH podcast, in my conversation with Angel Eduardo, her work had come up briefly in that conversation, and it just intrigued me, and I started to follow her on Twitter. And in that time, I saw some just incredible things, incredible ideas and and just thoughts coming out of her and her work that just made so much sense. And sense in a world that seems these days not to make much sense. Now, I've talked on the podcast so many times about those who interject race into everything are the real racists. And how much hate is brought about by the media and the politicians and those in government. And those who are trying to keep us divided by keeping us in boxes and putting labels on us. Sheena Mason, Dr. Sheena Mason blows all of that out of the water with her theory of racelessness. You know, in the workplace, so often we hear stories nowadays about EDI training, the equity, diversity, and inclusion, but they often fall short and make people feel just gross when it's all said and done. They divide us more than they bring us together. But the work that Dr. Sheena Mason does to bring people together is incredible. Their UHR training, the Unity, Healing, and Reconciliation, actually brings people together instead of divides us apart. They teach people the theory of racelessness and how to operate on its core tenets. Now, i just share a brief bio of Dr. Sheena Mason, and then we'll get right into that incredible conversation. Sheena Mason earned her PhD in English literature from Howard University in Washington, D.C. In August of 2021, she joined the faculty at SUNY Onianta as an assistant professor in English. Her first book, Theory of Racelessness, A Case for Anti-Racism, a textbook, presents an alternative philosophy of race and the theory of racelessness, an analytical and teaching framework for understanding race and stopping racism and its effects. It also presents a philosophy of race, culture, and ethnicity. Inspired by her theory, She founded Theory of Racelessness, an educational firm that helps people use alternative philosophies of race and her theory to achieve truly anti-racist outcomes. 
Her second book that presents her theory to a broader audience is due to be released in 2023. The theory of racelessness helps more people undo racism by undoing their belief in race and their unintentional upholding of racism by extension. With that, my friends, you do not want to miss this incredible conversation. Dr. Sheena Mason, one of my newest friends, I am so incredibly grateful to have her on the DTH podcast. Here we go. Dr. Sheena Mason, thank you so much for joining the D-Rate the 8 podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Well, Let's do this. So good. Well, way back in, uh, I think it was episode 74, I was having a conversation with Angel Eduardo, and that was the first time I believe your name had come up. And I found out about your theory of racelessness. I, I started following you on Twitter and see so many of the things that that you 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 put out there and and Sheena it's it's refreshing to see the messages that that you're putting out there and the things that you do uh because so often people are are trying to divide us and at the D-Rate the 8 podcast we're all about unity all about bringing people together all about bettering attitudes and I appreciate the work you're doing so if you could, for the DTH listeners, just talk real quick, a, a brief synopsis of the theory of racelessness and what got you started on that mission. <laughs> I'll do my best to keep it brief. <laughs> so uh, the theory of racelessness is called the theory because in academia, theories are frameworks. Um, it is a framework for how to talk about, teach about, study, analyze, interpret, understand all things race and racism. And um, as a framework, there are certain rules and tenets that underpin the framework. And there are tools, namely the racelessness translator. Um, and I can teach anyone the the rules and the tools, they can then apply it to any industry, any discipline, any interpersonal relationship, and reap the benefits of seeing themselves and other people through this different way of seeing. Because you may have um, heard that we currently, and up until this point in, in history, we've we've been taught to see ourselves through racialized frameworks mm -hmm. um and as part of the theory my main objective is to help people see how racialization itself is the dehumanizing apparatus yep so and i define racialization as simply the imposition of race onto any group of person of people um historically speaking racialization has always been done by some group attempting to dominate or annihilate another. We saw it with the Nazis with racializing the Jews as an inferior race of beings. We saw it in Rwanda with the Hutus and the Tiwas with the Tutsis that resulted in the Rwandan genocide. We saw it with the Chinese Communist Party when they were killing a lot of its citizens, all in the name of superiority and inferiority pertaining to race. Um, and it's it's through that lens that I help people see how racialization in the United States, which is commonly understood as black and white primarily, um, have been used as tools to keep us divided and thereby conquered. Um, and that almost no one actually 
benefits from racialization in any context, uh, but especially in the United States? And so what does a world or a future look like outside of and beyond racialization? How can we stop passing this on to our kids? Um, how can we stop suffering the negative effects of it? And it does have negative effects on all of us. And um, and how can we make it easier for the next generation and the next generation to not have to undo the the thing that we've inherited um, mm-hmm, and been taught mm-hmm. to really believe in and prioritize? How can we how can we stop this in its tracks? Because yeah. we we don't have to do this to each other and ourselves. No, we absolutely do not. And you know, you, you mentioned nobody benefits from the 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 racialization of of different people and whatever but unfortunately there are people that that do benefit from it but you know those in the media a lot of times those in politics and certain people that I call race hustlers that are are constantly trying to interject race in in everything right and and that's that's one of the things that I I love about your organization Sheena is is trying to get that race out. You know, I, I don't care whether people are labeling people because of race or trying to to equate your identity uh, to to being black or my identity to being white, or people are trying to label people as, as haves and have nots or poor and rich and whatever. When people try to put any kind of label on people, they are doing no benefit to that person that they are labeling. And that's what I think is really cool about the theory of racelessness is trying to get rid of those labels because those labels are really what perpetuates that racism, right? Yeah, it's, again, it's challenging because it's something we inherit and you named the media and the government. I think you said politicians, but I would just call that the government, right? Um, As being two of the main benefactors and perpetrators of racialization. And I would add to that our education system. And it's because we grow up in a society where these three main and powerful entities um, really uh, run things. uh, You know, Um, so it inspires us to continue to have this belief system in race and it con- inspires us to continue to have cer- a knowledge system based in racialization that is then really hard for people to find themselves outside of and understandably so. Um, and you said um, the race hustlers benefit from this. Well, I, I don't, presume to know what you mean but a lot of times when people say that they're thinking of the Ibram X Kendi's of the world or Robin D'Angelo's of the world and I would add to that that um anyone who is who who has skin in the game as it pertains to maintaining the practice of racialization benefits and it's not just those people there are plenty of there are plenty of people who who would be considered right-wingers who absolutely benefit from the continued belief in race. But I still think that regardless of how we cut the pie, it's still a very small percentage of people. And I think there's a difference between something being inherently beneficial, like actually beneficial by and of itself versus people making the best of what is a thoroughly pernicious practice and and belief system because to my mind there's nothing positive about racialization 
um, and that people have made the best of it and tried to work their way through and around and underneath it on top of it um, doesn't mean that it in and of itself is actually beneficial to any of us. And sure. I would c- contend that the people who believe most in race probably suffer the most from the, their belief in race because there's something psychological happening there that requires them to to really believe but it also clouds our it clouds our reality it clouds our view of the world it 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 encourages us to see ourselves in ways that belie how we actually are or how we should be and it encourages us encourages us to see racism everywhere as well Mm -hmm, which i think mm -hmm. is a bad thing because it is in a lot of places but it's not how people think. <laughs> right. Um, and I think the difference matters, uh, especially as it pertains to helping people actually unify, heal, and reconcile, which is what my educational firm, Theory of Racistness, is all about. Because as it currently stands, the reason we've been largely unable to do that, unify, heal, and reconcile, it's because no matter what time period, people have been working toward bettering our society from within the fishbowl mm-hmm, and we need mm-hmm. we need more people to get into the ocean so we can see more clearly what is racism what isn't racism right and then how do we solve it and how do we i view it really as an individual journey too in a lot of ways because there's a lot of looking elsewhere and saying well that person has it wrong but to my mind the theory of racistness benefits the individual um, because it helps us stop internalizing racism in that way or racialization in, in those ways, which are harmful. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you said a couple things there, Sheena, that, that really stand out to me because I think they're so important for people to, to realize that, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast is the perpetual victim mentality and the reticular activating system. And once one starts to begin or once one begins to feel like they're a victim and they start to you that that um, reticular activating system in their mind will only be able to focus on those things that make them feel like a victim. And then they will continue to subconsciously seek out those things that keep them feeling like a victim and, and and doing that hurts and hurts that person dramatically. And it, it's a perpetual cycle. It, it, it continues to go. And you brought up Ibram X. Kendi back in episode 114. I, I talked with some people about his book, racism, anti or stamped racism, anti-racism and you and how it was being taught in schools and, and the things that are in that book. And I read it and, and I was just, I thought it was horrible the way that it it pits people against each other and 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 talks about you know certain people being oppressed and certain people being oppressors and keeping people in that box of victimhood and, and really drawing that that line of you know you're either a racist or you're an anti-racist i love what you do sheena with uh with your organization and you brought up the acronym UHR unity healing and reconciliation you know, we hear a lot in business uh, these days uh, about DEI training, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and and the CRT, and trying to impose that that victim and victor or or oppressed and oppressor 
type of mentality on people. Talk more about that UHR training, the 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 vision in that together part of your your training and and what you do with businesses and and how you you say that you're experts in business and you're you're here to bring people together uh, rather than divide. You're not going to alienate any group for any reason, but but you're really looking to build that unity and celebrate actual diversity and not those presumed differences. So talk more about that because I really really like that versus what we see now in all these mainstream DEI mandatory trainings that we're seeing in business and that that really do a lot to alienate certain people and and it just people come away feeling weird and almost dirty a lot of times from what I've seen. Yeah, it's one of those paradoxes for me, well what you're talking about because there is a tendency in today's society for um for DEI, all things DEI, EDI, JEDI, whatever acronym we could we could um, lean into, to get a lot of flack for its ineffectiveness, its general ineffectiveness. And so, part of my part of my hope is that more people in talking with me or hearing from me can better understand um, where those practices came from and and. I want to highlight the fact that they didn't create racialization, right? They're just operating in the framework that we've all inherited in, in our society. And racialization looks different in from country to country. But how how racialization looks in our country does look like black and white, and it does look like oppressor and oppressed. And that is the design of racialization. That is what created the the categories of race that people believe in and that's why when people often fight against racism they do so by pointing out all of the things that have packaged as white and all of the things that have been packaged as black but part of the roadblocks that many people understandably um run into through att- attacking racism in that way is the fact that because we see ourselves as racialized, we see ourselves in black or we see ourselves in white, then we see ourselves as being called the oppressor or as being the oppressed. And while there might be a very emphasis on the might be some positives that can come out of seeing ourselves in that way, I would say for the majority of people, it's a negative, especially because the unintentional upholding of the same hierarchy that that people in DEI in particular are pointing out and criticizing is actually being unintentionally upheld because we continue to do it from a racialized perspective. So what I work with my students on and what I work with businesses on is seeing themselves as racist. It's an invitation um, to see yourself in a way that has become increasingly taboo because people have misunderstood racelessness um, really since, the, you know, before the United States became the United States. Up until this point, racelessness has been conflated with the category of whiteness, which means that because we inherit a belief system and race, people who are seen as white have been seen as raceless and sometimes often see themselves as raceless. And what the contention is, is that 
in seeing yourself as raceless, you're then missing the problem of racism. And there's plenty of literature that shows that there is validity to this point. And in contrast to that, people who are racialized as Black oftentimes see their race um, first and foremost as important to who they are, not because they were just born and, you know, came into consciousness and were like, aha, I'm Black. It's because they learned that they're Black from the society that they live in, usually because of an instance of racism. I first learned that I was Black because I experienced racism as a child. And that's when the the language of blackness was was put onto me and i was basically told to see myself as the problem of somebody else's bad behavior because the person was racist because i'm black right so i'm the cause for the other person's racism and that's the tensions and the paradoxes that i'm hoping to tease out here are what continue to be inherited and passed on and so that we find ourselves in this predicament and that we have people in DEI, I would argue, trying to do good work and trying to center humanity and trying to bring light to pr problems that actually exist, they fall short because of the fact that we continue to try to address these problems from inside of the problem. And as you said, and rightfully so, as so long as we continue to do that, the division is built in because mm -hmm. that's the design of racialization and we can choose something different. And so part of the choosing, I contend that everyone needs to learn about philosophies of race and the discipline of philosophy. There's a specialization philosophy of race and we get defaulted into two of the six philosophies without even having the language to say, this is my philosophy of race. And those defaulted positions have kept us in this quagmire. Right. It has kept us in the fishbowl. And the theory of racistness brings to the surface two philosophies that are seldom heard of and often misunderstood. And those philosophies are called skepticism and eliminativism. Skepticism As a, and eliminativism? That's right. So skepticism is a position that speaks to what a person thinks race is. As a skeptic, I argue that race does not exist. Now, that probably sounds to some people like what, what Kendi might say, what D'Angelo might say. But those people are actually operating from a constructionist position on race which is the second of three categories that speak to what a person can think race is. And constructionist positions of race are how most of us get defaulted into. Constructionists argue that race is a social construction. Now, some people hear, oh, it's a social construction. It's not real. You're wrong <laughs> to anyone right. who's thinking that way. If, if something is a social construction, it's not real in nature. It's not real biologically, but it's real as a human-made thing, a human-made phenomenon. There's a difference. But you hear constructionists say all the time, oh, race isn't real. It was made by man to do X, Y, and Z. Well, then that means it's real. So newsflash, <laughs> if you think race is a constructed man-made thing, then it's real. And then the last way to look at race is something called naturalism. And that's another philosophy we get defaulted into because as early as elementary school, we start learning that 
race's DNA, race's skin color, right? Race's ancestry. It's how a person looks. So we get taught to have a naturalist view of race. As a skeptic, that's to me, it's the radical act of acknowledging all of our racelessness and acknowledging that the social construction is racism itself. And that racialization is a symptom or a necessary upholding of the racism. And if race doesn't exist, um, then that would mean that just because people believe in it doesn't make it real at, for me as a skeptic. Just as an atheist disbelieves in a deity, they can readily recognize that there's religion, right? That human society organizes itself around its belief in a God, that there are cat like, you know, holidays, calendar all year long, right? That are religious. Um, but for an atheist, uh, the society's belief in a God doesn't make God real, but religion is real. So I'm a race atheist, right? I, I see that everyone, be, you know, basically everyone believes in race. Right. They either believe it's real in nature or they believe it's real as a construction. But that doesn't make it real for me because every time, every time Wilk says, oh, but this is race or this is racial, I can translate it into culture or ethnicity or class or racism itself. And if I can always translate something into something else that's more precise and accurate, then that means it's not real. And part of the problem of continuing to believe is the fact that the racism itself, the racialization continues to get uh, perpetuated, right? And we confuse it with things that are important, like culture, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. ethnicity, like class. Um, and so... My UHR is infinitely proving to be more most effective because I'm saying, hey, you know, we're taught that there's two ways to look at race, that it's biologically real or that it's a social construction. But there's actually a third way. Let me tell you about it. And let me invite you to see yourself through a skeptical position so that we can talk about hard history. Right. But right, we can right. talk about it from. A, peer, a position of racelessness and and racelessness is synonymous with being human there's no absence there except the absence of the violence of racialization sure <laughs> and 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 in that way the other philosophies of race that speak to what a person thinks should be done with race are important now we get defaulted into a conservationist position we should keep race conservationists are usually naturalists or a reconstructionist position. And reconstructionists are usually constructionists. Now, reconstructionists are, are the Kennedys of the world, the D'Angelo's, and ev basically everyone who came before uh, uh, 2022. Uh, <laughs> it's, this, it's this idea that we can refashion whatever we think race is. And people want to reconstruct it for all kinds of reasons. But historically, if you go back to like antiquity times, you know, in, in Greece and Rome, there were conceptions of race there. But those conceptions of race and those conceptions of race had a, a, a hierarchy. They were a tool to subjugate and oppress certain groups of people. And by the time early modern Europe comes into fruition, they have a concept of race, but their concept of race actually 
matches more what it is today too. It's more about ethnicity, which is often aligned with nationality. So in early modern Europe, there's a there's a class system, but it's not the black and white thing that we imagine that it is. And when the Europeans come to what would become the US, they say, ah, there's this handy concept of race, right? That's used to reflect and maintain a class system. And we have chattel slavery already going. And we have indentured servant servants who we want to phase out because it's no longer practical to keep um, indenturing Europeans, right? We have this other labor market. So let's take race and let's put white and black to it. Yeah. <laughs> and and if you were free and of African descent, you were of color. Mm-hmm. And so your racialization came to signify your class status in society. And Frederick Douglass inherited that way of seeing himself. And he tried to, to assert his humanity into blackness. He tried to reconstruct it. He tried to reconstruct race by saying, I know you guys have been taught that to be black is to be a beast, to be chattel, to be property, but actually we're human, right? And we're worthy of all the things afforded to humans. And so that's, that's the, the, the long view of how we've been reconstructing the concept of race across human history and how it comes to mean different things in different societies and how in our society, we're really born into a system where we are convinced, oh, we can refashion, we can refashion the racial categories to mean different things. And I'm here to say, no, we we can't, right? We need to eliminate it, eliminate it. And that's the last philosophy of race. Well, Eliminativism. Yeah, I, yeah, and and you know, I, I like I like that eliminativism a lot better than I like anything else because you know, I, I'm one of those people who are like, you know, if I say as a white guy, you know, I would not prefer a white a co- guy. What's that? I said, you're not a white guy. Well, that's my point. You're oh, not a white guy. Well, no, no. I, but what I'm saying is <laughs> I, I, I get it. And that's that's awesome. But from many people's perspective, if I say I want a colorless society or I want a raceless society or whatever, they're like, oh, you're just a racist trying to you know, eliminate race or, or whatever, you know, I, I, or like, like an Ibram X candy, like I said, I, you know, and I, I don't want to keep on bringing him up, but that book, <laughs> you know, I mean, and even, you know, he, he's, he's criticizing Booker T. Washington. He's criticizing Frederick Douglass. He's criticizing anybody who doesn't take that reconstruction and really try to, you know, do what he thinks or, or, or be what his interpretation of an anti-racist is. They're, they're either a, uh, I can't remember what the word that he uses, either racist or a, a racist, anti-racist or a um, assimilationist. Um, assimilationist. There we go. Assimilationist. And, you know, so so if I don't bow down to his idea of what a racist is, then that makes me somehow racist or or then there's other people out there, Sheena, who who, um, you know, look at people that aren't people of color and if they aren't totally on board with like the dei training that i'm talking about then all of a sudden the only reason they wouldn't be on board with the dei um orthodoxy is if they're that, racist yeah that's because you got to be <laughs> racist right 
And and it's just it does no service to anybody. It doesn't do any service to to you. It doesn't do any service to me. It doesn't do any service to all the children who are being subjected to that kind of stuff in our schools nowadays. You brought up a a a, a personal thing there, Sheena. As a child, you were exposed to racism, and that was the only way you ever really began to interpret yourself as black. And and I I would contend that the same thing is happening today in our schools and actually more so in our schools nowadays and i i think it's child abuse when children are subjected to like the crt stuff and and things that are happening in our schools because i think it does try to pin that identity to the color of one's skin and i know you had you had a conversation with um i think his was named adrian um, recently, and and he talks about dispelling the myth of race and and not having that identity tied to race um, uh, or the color of one's skin. And, and I am that type of person who who wants that theory of racelessness. So so I think the work that you guys are doing over there, um, and and then you know with your book and stuff like that, talk to me about you. You talk about the. You teach people the theory of racelessness and then the core tenets of racelessness. So if I could, if if you could, for me and for the DTH listeners, what are, you know, those tangible words that, what are the, the tenets of the theory of racelessness? Sure. So um, first, I, I want to respond to, to something you just said. Um, so I respect the fact that you aspire toward a sort of colorless or we could say colorblind society, right? And one important distinction between the theory of racistness and the sort of colorblind ethos is the fact that colorblindness is still maintaining the belief in race, but working to not allow that belief to impede how how we see or treat people. Right. Okay. Um, to not be racist. That's generally speaking what people who aspire toward colorblindness are are aspiring toward. And um, and I respect that. And <laughs> um I see colorblindness as falling woefully short and our attempt as a nation to be colorblind, sort of after the civil rights movement, um, as falling woefully short and causing a sort of backlash and, re- and regression in some ways, primarily because there there needs to be an intervention into the translation of anything into race in the first place, because skin color is not race. Um, if skin color was race, then neither of us would ostensibly have a problem with it, right? Because we could just say matter-of-factly, like, you're white and I'm black. And that would be the end of it. There wouldn't be anything else. But we intuitively recognize that in calling oneself white or black or anything in between, we are attaching all of these expectations and presuppositions about who and how we are based on that signifier, which should tell us that race is not skin color because none of us are actually white or black. 
visually, sure. right? We're yeah. not actually, you know, you have your complexion of skin, I have mine, and I wouldn't describe either as white or black. Right, right, but, right. And, yep. and, and, and we need more people to, and this is where the racelessness translator comes into play, where I help people see biological realities such as skin color or ancestry who a person's parents are right and stop mistranslating that into race um because right. it's that mistranslation that allows the racialization to persist because then no matter how we look at it if we look at it from a colorblind perspective or a race ideological perspective which is which is how i see a lot of people who lean left right it's it's two sides of the same coin under the theory of racistness because we need to be able to see skin color and the problem comes in how everything get, race gets attached to skin color and that's just not that's that needs to stop yeah um, okay. that make, i mean that makes perfect sense i i yeah i guess i i hadn't thought of it that way and I, i'm glad you i'm glad you clarified that because no, that that makes perfect sense. That's that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Adrian and I, you mentioned Adrian. I love Adrian. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm meeting him actually at a conference that I'm doing in Boston on the 24th in Lexington, Massachusetts. Adrian's a, a participant and I'm so excited to meet him. But we have this debate all the time where I try to tell him like even if other people, even if everyone else believes that race is skin color, we can say that that's part of the belief system, but that's not what race is, which Adrian knows this, but we go back and forth about yeah. the language all the time. It's yeah. a healthy conversation. Um, but the, so the tenets, the tenets help people with the racelessness translate translation. So the first rule is that race is not something in nature. It's not biological. Okay. The second rule is that race is not a social construction. And this is where you start to hear the skepticism, right? The third rule, everyone is raceless, right? If race isn't in nature and it's not a construction, then we're all raceless, which, which then follows that racism is not the cause for every disparity or perceived negative interaction Racism includes the belief in race as something in nature or as a construction and the practice of racialization, imposing race onto oneself and others. And then lastly, racism can be overcome. Now, all, these rules reflect the underpinning philosophies of racist skepticism and eliminativism. It reflects my ever and probably overly optimistic view that racism can be overcome. It reflects my definition of racism, which to my mind, the the most common definitions of racism include this um, idea of power plus privilege or the sort of Kendian um, definition, which he did not invent this definition. This has been the standard definition for a long time. Um, but he he defines racism as the belief in the superiority or inferiority of any racial group. Now, to my mind, that more common definition is redundant because the inferiority and the superiority is built into race. Like that's what that's what racialization is. That's what it creates. That's what it maintains. Um, and so I strip away all of that. And I just say racism includes the belief in race and the practice of racialization, 
which might bring some people to hear me say, hey, that they're racist, right? Because they believe in race and they racialize themselves and other people. I think an important part of my work has come down to helping people remove the stigma from that identification of oneself as racist. To me, it is a it is more of a matter of fact. If we understand what racialization is, then we can understand ourselves as often unintentionally upholding it and participating in it. And that's not a moral indictment to my mind. I think where a lot of this has gone wonky and a lot of what's ineffective about our current anti-racist practices includes the fact that there is a sort of demonization of people who are labeled racist. And in the world we live in, to me, it's like, it's actually no wonder that any of us is racist, even if we use a different definition. It's like, yeah, I mean, we inherit that belief system and the media and our education and our government ensure it. But the important aspect for me is recognizing that any of us and most of us are racist under the theory of racistness, but it's not a moral indictment. And it's something that we can actually solve. Whereas I think other indictments of, of, hey, this person is racist or I'm racist in other frameworks, it's not solvable. It's actually not something that a person can escape because their their racialization is viewed as permanent. And to me, I'm like, no, no, no. We can we can stop playing this game. We can stop racializing. Does it take um, personal work and time and practice? Does it take time for Wilk to stop seeing himself as a white man? Yes. A hundred percent. For me, I've been studying race and racism for over 20 years. And I only recently in the last three or so years came to start articulating the theory and developing it and pushing my language and practicing and being very mindful and intentional about how I see people and how I see myself. And my students call it intellectual, spiritual, and emotional work. And I would say that's right on the money. It is for many of us. and but it's worth it. I've never had anyone come back and say, Dr. Mace, uh, this wasn't worth it. <laughs> it's yeah. worth it. And well, it seems, there uh, yeah, isn't it, out. It's it's incredibly important. And and yeah, I, I think you're 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 doing great work. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And you know, once once one starts to really dive into it, I mean Obviously, it's not something a, a person's going to grasp in a, a one hour conversation by any stretch Never. of the imagination I or, wish it was. or whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it was that simple, if it was that simple, we could fix it like that. Right. Sheena? Right. But, yes. but like you said, I, I mean, I, I love your optimism. I love the fact that you you really believe that this can be fixed. I think it can be fixed because I, I don't think the human beings are are inherently good. I think they have to be taught to be good. I think anybody who's got children understand that. <laughs> like like my daughter is. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. And, and you know, she one day she's you know just a sweet little angel, and the next day she's an absolute terror. And I think you're the mother of triplets, right? So yeah, three year olds. I, I can yeah. only imagine. But I think people can learn. I, I think people can learn to be good. I think people, a lot of people want to be good. I don't think it's necessarily in our general nature to be good, but with with the right information and with the right 
right tools, the right education, the right coaches. I, I think we all have the ability to become good. And this is really one of those things. I mean, that's why I do the podcast. Like I said, bettering the world one attitude at a time, personal accountability, talking about things like that. And I know that you've written a book. I, I, you know, I didn't realize that you had only developed this over the last, you know, three years or whatever. So one, one question I really want to ask is with this being such a, you know, a, a new concept, it's really in its still in its toddler years since we were talking about kids. What has been the in academia? Because academia in my in in my mind rightfully so gets a very bad rap these days academia is is a cesspool of just ideological nastiness in in so many ways so you as a college professor you as somebody who's in that world of academia with the theory of racelessness and trying to get other people on board with the theory of racelessness when, like we said, we've already established in this conversation, there are certain people who benefit from keeping that alive. How is that being received, Sheena, in your circle of academia? That's a great question. Um, as I want to clarify, I've been studying this for over 20 <laughs> years, so technically it's that long in the making, right? And if, okay. you, look at, if you look at my advanced honors thesis, even as an undergraduate like basically almost 20 years ago, I was talking about institutionalized erasure and I was spelling erasure with the word race in it. And so even that long ago, I recognized how the imposition of race was doing something that a lot of people weren't necessarily recognizing or intending. But since starting my PhD from 2016 to 2021, when I was at Howard University, that's when I was like really getting to the first phases of the earliest articulations of of what would be called the theory of racelessness and the first book is a scholarly text it's it's a textbook so it's not going to be for everyone i focus on literary studies and it's a sort of case study analysis or application of the theory but i have a second book under contract with a traditional trade press pitchstone and that second book is a book for everybody um, it's the equivalent of of Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, but uh, all things racelessness. <laughs> so yeah. I'm really excited about that book, and I'm anticipating it'll come out sometime next year, hopefully sooner than later. I'm really excited, so I, ha I have to shout that out. And I'm also working on a graphic novel. A lot, a lot of a lot of things, a lot of tools that I'm really, really excited about because I think it's going to really open people's minds and give them the knowledge I think people are craving for, give them the hope and the optimism that people need and deserve. And hopefully what I'm about to say too will also give hope and optimism. At the earliest stages, like right leading up to my graduation from Howard University, I was definitely concerned about, you know, how are people going to receive this? Because I study all things American history and I've I've studied figures who were people who are racialized as black and who are American, who whose voices, whose ideas went out of print, um, are ignored, are not taught in any classroom anywhere, or they have things that are taught, but they're taught 
through the philosophies of race that we get defaulted into. So people just miss so much about them. I study that history and I'm like super aware of it. And I don't know anyone who wants to marginalize and exclude themselves uh, from importance, right? Like who wants to be, who wants to be devalued by virtue of not accepting the traditionally accepted ideas and belief in race. Um, and so I was very concerned and nervous as I should be, um, I'm happy to say that when I defended my dissertation, I passed with distinction and honor reserved for less than 1% of humanities PhDs worldwide, an already very small number. And I was a keynote speaker at my PhD graduation. Um, And so that goes to show you the integrity um, of academia, at least at Howard University. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. not everyone on, on my committee is an eliminativist and none of them are skeptics. My philosopher mentor, Jacoby Carter, is a constructionist eliminativist, um, but everyone else was really, you know, having to work hard intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually to really grapple with what I was presenting to them. And yet they did, right? And they rewarded me for for the strength of my scholarship. Yeah, like people presume that I'm going to have an opposite like horror story. And I'm like, no, that wasn't my experience at all. Um, And since becoming an assistant professor at SUNY Oneonta, I've also experienced the exact opposite of what of people I know who are in academia who are in tenuous and toxic situations and basically being told to sit down and shut up. And I think the difference And this is just a suspicion, so I'm not sure. We'll see how this continues to play out. But I think the difference is I'm staunchly nonpartisan, and my work is staunchly nonpartisan. And I'm true to that nonpartisanship. I will criticize everyone. Yeah, no, that's good. (laughs) In equal measures, I criticize everyone. And the people I know who are in danger of, or people are trying to cancel them, because cancel culture is real, Mm -hmm. those people are openly conservatives um and also people who tend to be racialized as black and for that reason alone i believe it's because of their politics as opposed to their ideas that they're receiving the toxic toxicity that i'm not receiving because people can't pin down my politics um and so i've been getting a lot of support but that doesn't mean it's been easy um I'm doing a talk at the end of the month. I won't name the college at this point. We'll see Mm -hmm. how this plays out, but I'm doing a talk at a college in California. And um, one of my dear friends is a conservative and she's, I just hear what they're putting her through there. It's like they expected her to just be the token black person in quotation marks Mm -hmm. and just agree Mm -hmm. with everything that they say. And she doesn't. And so when she's trying to present my work and make a situation so I can come and talk with faculty, they're putting up roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and they're playing a lot of games. And I've never sure. seen an institution be this unprofessional. And yet this this is what I'm um, putting up with. And my friend is worried that once I get there, there might be people trying to yell in my face or maybe spit on me. The horror stories that you see at different places in the U.S., right? Well, when yeah, guest I mean, speakers come, right? Yeah, so, I mean, so many, so many times you hear stories right now, uh, Sheena, about you know women of color who are also conservative, you know, and the horror stories that they're facing and, and things because you're right, they're expected to 
have the certain mentality because well of course a woman of color can't be a conservative right but but they they find out that they are and and i, I think of people like candace owens and and mm-hmm. amala uh well, i think is amala yukonobi and and there there's several out there mm-hmm. i mean there's several, i mean several even going all the way back to like condoleezza rice um mm-hmm. and and as soon as people found out that they didn't have the political political ideology that they were expected to have because of being racialized as a black woman or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I'm working on it, right? I saw that. I <laughs> but but so then they're castigated, you know, for that. And, That's and right. I think it's I think you're right. I think right now we live in an age where where people are are demonized. And I, and I love the fact that you said you're, you know, you're 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 not partisan. You're 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 willing to criticize both sides. And and I'm not a person who's I think anything worth worthy of criticism should be able to be criticized you know Mm -hmm. but we live in a world nowadays where if you criticize something that somebody in a perceived victim class has done or said even if that is worthy of criticism now the person doing the criticizing is is somehow evil or or whatever so it's a it's a very weird paradox and, and the whole cancel culture thing is terrible and it's terrible for society because it does inhibit people's ability to have a free and civil conversation. Yeah. And, you know, not for nothing, the quality of life of my friend who shall not be named is diminished because of what she's experiencing, you know, and, and the the fierceness with which people feel comfortable telling her you know basically to sit down and shut up and because of my connection with her then i have to make an educated guess that the presumption is oh if she's promoting this this work then it must also be the thing that i revile right Mm -hmm. and so i'm receiving some of the secondhand backlash um but my position will always be aligned with what Frederick Douglass said, which was, I will align with anyone to do good and no one to do bad. And so regardless of my own politics, uh, because this is not a political thing for me, I am able to work alongside everyone and anyone who is who is engaged with my work sincerely, right? Like who's, who's, who maybe hasn't completely unlocked and cracked the code and figured everything out and, but is like engaged positively, you know, and, and, and willing and open. Um, And I think that that's what we, that's what we should um, gift to ourselves, a sort of willingness and openness to learn and grow as well as extend to other people. And I'm really proud and happy to say that at my institution, that's exactly what, what I'm experiencing. My students are amazing. They love me. Um, they love me for a lot of reasons, but I get a lot of unsolicited feedback from my students about the content of the class because mm-hmm. I teach them the theory of racelessness as the theory. I teach them the philosophies of race. And then because all of my classes were learning African-American literature, Caribbean literature, African literature. So it's it's literature that would be classified as Black. That's why I teach them the theory of racistness up front so that hopefully we can have richer conversations and understandings of what's happening yeah. in the literature and what's happening in today's society. And my students are 
living for it. Like they're really thriving. Yeah, so I, I learn re- it in a more objective manner. And yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I reject the idea. I, I obviously feel passionately about education and institutes of, of higher learning. And while I can acknowledge that there are some problems that are happening up um, and some examples of people experiencing what I would consider to be prejudice. Um, I don't think it's like the apocalyptic thing that people have convinced themselves that it is. But then I think also my view on that is inspired by the fact that I hadn't haven't always thought this way. And there was definitely a time in, in my career where I was going through all of the philosophies of race, right? I wasn't born a skeptical eliminativist. I, before that, I was a constructionist eliminativist, then a constructionist, reconstructionist, a naturalist, conservationist. I've gone through all the philosophies of race. And so I've gone through the process of seeing and seeing and seeing the world in different ways. And so that gives me a deeper empathy, I think, for people who do see the world in in the way that I used to see the world. And I understand more deeply how we get there how any of us gets to the the ways that we think about race and racism, which I think also makes me that much more effective in helping people outside of it. Whereas I think a lot of people who are trying to do good work and have really good intentions, they don't yet have the understanding, a deep understanding of the other side, which I put Mm -hmm. in quotation marks, right? Mm -hmm. And we just stay in this antagonistic position. and. I, I, maybe I'm giving people too much the benefit of a doubt, but I don't believe that the Kendian type of, of people out there are thinking, you know what, I benefit monetarily because of this, or my reputation benefits because of this. So I'm going to do this. These people believe what they're teaching. So although they benefit and that's a, that's a product of the work they're doing, Make no mistake, these people believe what they're doing and they believe that this is the best way forward for everyone. They believe that and that's why they're investing their entire lives toward doing that. And the cynical part of me might be inspired to say that that's not true, but having I know people who do Mm -hmm. this type of work and I can tell you unequivocally they believe this. And Mm -hmm. it makes sense that they believe it because as you said, that's the that's the shape of our society. That's yeah. been our belief system for a very long time. But it doesn't have to be this way. And and I think more people are closer to a sort of theory of racistness framework than we might think, which gives me hope. And if we consider what I said earlier about how we teach our young children, if we don't teach our young children to racialize themselves and other people in the first place, and if we can teach them the important history and all that stuff from a racist perspective and be transparent and forthright about that, mm-hmm. then we can actually start to see things going in a better direction for all of us. And we can Absolutely. stop hanging our hats on our whiteness or our blackness or our mixedness or our Asianness or whatever racialization right. we want to attach ourselves to. Well, I can I can tell you this, Sheena. I would love to see a you know, theory of racelessness, kids version and, and, and see something like that taught in our, in our public education system, as opposed to a Ibram X Kendi's 
stamped uh, because I, I can tell you that I I see I mean and and I I understand and I totally respect your position on on Kendi and Kendiism and 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 him believing that he's doing good. I look at it uh, as and I don't know him. I have not met him. We've got common people that we we know, but I look at that book and and having that book pressed upon children in our public education system as abuse almost almost like the abuse that you said that you know you you encountered as a child and that that make you made you become aware of being black um i look at that kind of thing being pressed upon our our kids in an education system they're a captive audience they have no choice but to listen they have no choice but to be put put through that i i would love to see the works of dr sheena mason and the theory of racelessness used as educational material and and get kids to not use the color of their skin and the, and being racialized as part of their identity. I, I think we would be in a much better place as a country. I think we would be in much better places as, as a as a people, as a as as just general humans, if that were the case. There's nobody that that can deny the stained history that our country has and the world has uh, because of people being racialized and using the color of people's skin to divide us and to enslave some and do certain things. This has been happening since the beginning of time. We've seen it in the Bible from the the beginning of the the written history. We know that these things have happened And, and it's bad, but Again, I, I love your material. I love your website. Tell me, Sheena, and, and I and I haven't read your book, but I'm I, I'm definitely going to get it because I want to have it. I want to be able to reference it. I want to I want this to be a continued relationship between you and I because I think there's so much important here, and I think it does so much good for the Derate the Hate listeners, and and just just my overall goal with the Derate the Hate podcast, bettering the world one attitude at a time, personal accountability learning how to be a better person by having better information and doing better things. So just real quick, I know we're at, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of our time here, Sheena, what is the main takeaway you want people to get from your website and, and, and the material you're putting out there? How can people get a hold of you? And uh, like, again, what, what's the main takeaway you want the DTH listeners to get from your and my time here together today? Thank you so much, Woke. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to having many more. And I mean that sincerely. Folks can go to theoryofracistness.org. I have links to publications, podcasts, the conference that I mentioned on September 24th. And in doing that, I would say the primary takeaway for me is this starts with you. This is a you thing, right? This starts with your learning, your liberating yourself from racialization. You're liberating yourself from a racialized worldview because all of us, even as we fight against racialization, tend to be operating still within that racialized framework. And it takes uh, it takes the right information, as you said. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of mindfulness. And it's 100% worth it. Make this about you first, and then we can start to branch out and see how we can um, inspire our communities, our school systems, et cetera, to reflect our new beliefs. 
I, I guarantee you, Sheena, it's been a pleasure because you're making the world a better place with all you're doing. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much, Will. Friends, if there's anything in this episode that provided exceptional value to you, please make sure to hit that share button. Share it with your friends, share it far and wide. And of course, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe right from our website so you can get the Derate the Hate podcast sent to your email inbox every week. So this is Wilk wrapping up for the week saying get out there, be kind to one another, be grateful for everything that you've got, and remember it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If there is something that you would like to share with me, you can catch me on most social media platforms or you can email me directly, wilk at wilksworld.com. With that, my friends, I am going to back on out of here and we will catch you next week. Take care.